Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light, plus our NBA team-focused podcasts, Cavalier Central, Knock If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Whitney Fry. She is the director of USA Basketball's Safe Sport Program. The Safe Sport Initiative raises awareness about misconduct in sport. It promotes open dialogue and provides training and resources to all participants of the game. That's players, parents, and coaches. It does this by creating a healthy and supportive environment with the focus on safety. And Whitney Fry, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So as director, your responsibilities include ensuring compliance with all of the aspects of USA's basketball safe sport program. You also work, yep, you work with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. You coordinate the background screening process. (laughs) You serve as the primary liaison for youth coach license complaints and incidents, among other things. And now it sounds like, it sounds like there is a lot that goes into this. So, My first question for you is, can Mm -hmm. you explain a little bit more about what Safe Sport is? Sure. So Safe Sport is actually a program and it's actually a center. So the U.S. Center for Safe Sport um, is actually up in Denver and it was created by a law to protect young athletes from um, misconduct and abuse. So each national governing body, which USA Basketball is, so we are the national governing body for um, basketball in the United States. So we have this program to ensure um, compliance with not only the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, but also to ensure safety and compliance for the people who participate in our program. So Safe Sport is really a program, um, a, a list of policies, procedures, and you know, it's ingrained in our culture to protect um, not only minor athletes, but athletes from misconduct and abuse. So that's going to be your sexual abuse, child abuse, um, harassment, bullying, hazing, um, you know, things of that nature, um, physical misconduct. And so we take all those complaints in for those who are underneath our jurisdiction and try to make sure that the 
the I guess the atmosphere of basketball within the United States is one that is um, safe, but also promotes um, individuals to really participate in the sport of basketball free from any um, misconduct or abuse. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Um, so it's just really a program to help protect um, athletes and those who are participating in our sport. Now, before we started recording today, you said the program is it's new, but it's it's old <laughs> in some way. So so because like I like I mentioned to you before yeah. we started recording, like like I, you know, I stumbled on it doing research for the podcast and I think it's great. I think this mm-hmm. is needed. So how new is this concept? So actually, I came to USA Basketball in 2017, um, in November 2017. I came from the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. Um, and it's kind of a it came around that time. So if you think about so whenever someone's asking me, what do you do? It's it's really kind of hard to, you know, you had that long spiel at the beginning. So it's hard to give that to someone in 30 seconds, your elevator pitch. So I usually try to say that I'm the person that prevents Larry Nassers from coming into the, 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 the arena of basketball. And that kind of gets people to understand. So around that time is where it was. But it was started with the U.S. Um, Olympic Committee, and now it's the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, um, and it was part of Team USA, the Safe Sport Program. And then the U.S. Center for Safe Sport actually um, was created, and now it's been expanded. So it's really a, a burgeoning movement within the United States. It's one of the um, the few things that um, you know, kind of America you know, has on its own. We're really committed to creating a, a, an atmosphere of um, safety and um, compliance within the U.S. Olympic movement. Was this something that stemmed off of what what happened with the gymnastics team and, and some of those other stories that we had heard about? I think that it got a little bit more traction um, because of those stories. But before that, um, the Team USA actually had a safe sport program trying to ensure um, safety and compliance. Um, so, yes, I think, you know, I think you could say that there's probably a little bit of a movement there. Um, but I think that, you know, USA basketball has been at the forefront um, of this movement, you know, since I've come here um, because it was part of our coach license program, actually. Um, and, you know, we kind of integrated it into the entire um organization. So, you know, we've, I think I like to think of us as, um, as model um, citizens within the um, Olympic movement. But yes, I think that part of it may have come from the Larry Nassar movement. But I think when everyone is taking um, onus and responsibility for the things that are within their own movements, then you kind of see a little bit more um, branching out and a little bit more protection and safety. Well, one of the things that struck me this, uh, as far as the seriousness of mm-hmm. this is your your background is in law, right? Yes, sir. I'm actually a licensed attorney in the state of North Carolina. Um, my dad was actually a, a judge. My granddad was on the North Carolina Supreme Court. So I do have a, a pretty big history within um, sport. And I was a general counsel and associate commissioner at the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. And that's kind of where I saw a little bit of this stuff bubbling up, but not to the extent that it has now. Well, the reason I think this this fits the podcast is you mentioned it uh, a, a couple of minutes ago is the bullying aspect of mm-hmm. this. But I think a lot of this falls falls under the umbrella. I mean, I've seen bully coaching in action and mm-hmm. uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's something that is just. I mean, maybe back in the day it worked, right. but it's just something that is a bygone. But and I want to go through the the resources and things that are available for people. But you know, you you, you touched on you know the a, a little bit about where this came from. But I you know, and I don't know. Maybe you've answered this question, but more specifically, okay. like why did USA basketball feel the need for safe sport? Did they feel like there is a need for this in basketball or all sports? Across the board. 
I think it's something with all sports across the board, but we do realize the eyes that are on basketball. You, you realize that basketball is one of the, you know, the premier sports in the United States. Whenever we go to the Olympics, we are expected to win, but we have to realize that there is actually a pipeline coming through. And so there are people who are playing basketball all over the country. They're whether they're doing five on five, three on three, they're playing with their kids. This is something that's ingrained in American culture. And so if we're going to be a part of it, we have to make sure that we are creating a culture that understands that children, adults, officials, referees, coaches, and even parents have an understanding of what misconduct is, how that affects the development of the athlete, um, and how it affects the, the sport in general. So I think that, you know, we thought of it some, as something that not that it's not just a requirement, it's something that we believe should be part of every sports culture. So can you share uh, maybe some examples of misconduct, maybe yeah, for a parent, for a coach, uh, mm-hmm. even if it's just in general, like some mm-hmm. of the things we're talking about here? Yeah. So when I think about um, misconduct, a lot of people don't think about it. It's, it's an imbalance of power. So whether it be the captain of the basketball team and they are hazing a kid so that they become a member of, of varsity or a coach you know, throwing chairs at a, at a player, or even if an, a player is injured and putting him out there too soon to participate, that is an example of misconduct. We also talk about sexual abuse and misconduct where they're grooming. So grooming is one of those things where they not only groom the, the kid, but they also groom the individuals around them, maybe providing gifts, um, being a, 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 you know, a source of comfort, um, you know, isolating um, someone from someone else. Um, so I think, you know, misconduct and abuse can, you know, be, you know, any person within that um, organization, but it really does stem from an imbalance of power or the perceived imbalance of power. So, you know, when you're talking about kids, you know, certain age groups really want to, you know, be part of the team. And so when you have those, you know, you think about older kids, and like you said, um, you know, it may not necessarily be, it it may be a bygone, you know, thing from the, from back in the day. But, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, as a, I'm a, a young girl, you know, my mom used to say, you know, if he hits you, that means that he likes you. That's not necessarily the, the case. That's an imbalance of power. So when we're talking about any sort of misconduct or abuse, it's really the exploitation of that imbalance of power, whether it be someone in a position of authority, like an official, um, where they may be imposing um, certain you know, being harsher in certain penalties against um, another team because of their race or because of their age or because they don't like the coach. Or if it's, you know, the, you know, the, the water boy who's getting stuff thrown at him. Those are different types of misconduct and abuse, and they vary in levels of, um, you know, severity. You know, much like concussions in football and how we've mm-hmm. gotten smarter over the years, like yes. I feel like – that's where where this comes in or even even something simple like wear, let's wear bike helmets when we ride a bike so when we <laughs> yes, fall sir. off the bike we hit our head we're not going to split our head open Correct. you know like like to me i just feel like when when you look back on things that you know were were going on whatever 30 years ago and it was just accepted because i don't think we knew any better but i think we're getting smarter and 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 i think and i hope people understand like these are the types of things we need to start to to start to flip the script if we're not flipping the script already. Absolutely. I think that in order to kind of really curb any sort of issue, you have to realize the signs and understand the well, I always say you have to understand the why to get to the how. And so that's why I always talk about the imbalance of power, because that's your why. 
Um, the how is how do we fix these issues? And one is education. You have to understand these signs in order for you to curb these issues or to even talk to your kid or to your players or your athletes about these certain things. And so that's part of the reason why we have this, this program in place. And we partner with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport to provide a lot of resources, not only to parents, um, but to minor athletes, which can range from your preschool, middle school, high school. Um, and you can you know, provide this information to them so that they don't continue to make some of the same mistakes and proliferate um, these different types of um, misconduct and abuse within the sport or oh, other yeah. sports that they are participating in. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, that that's what I try to do on the podcast. Yes, yes it's basketball-centric, sure, but <laughs> it, I, you know, all of the things that the experts that come on this podcast talk about apply to so many other things, not just sports, even the business world, you know, what we're finding out, you know. And so so you mentioned the resources and I think this yes, is sir. this is outstanding. I want to talk a little bit about it. And I like how you you've broken it down to age groups. I think one of the uh, and I'll call it a problem. I think one of the problems we have is these days is we have parents who are afraid to to open up or maybe don't know the the proper way to open up and let somebody know about a particular issue or a problem because i think first and foremost they're afraid of repercussions for their own child Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense and so i think this this resource center that you have on the website Mm -hmm. is is phenomenal so can you talk a little bit about that? But first, can you can you talk first? How how should a parent approach? Where where does the process begin if they see something that they know is just not right, and mm-hmm. that that there should be something done about it? So one, I would say start with your kid because they have the the eyes on there and having that good relationship with your child. You know, I guess using kid may not necessarily be as, as correct as everybody wants to know, but I'd rather just be um, a conversation. So yeah, start with, start with your child, ask them what they see. What are they, you know, what are they experiencing, especially the things that you're seeing and then bring it to the attention of those who are in charge. If you don't feel comfortable, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport as well as USA Basketball has different resources for for which you can actually report issues. So we do have, um, you can report by phone via, you know, anonymously, you can do it um, via email. You can, we also have a form on our website as well as the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. So there are various ways of reporting, but if there is something that, you know, we don't have jurisdiction over, you always have resources, whether it be with the AAU, with your school and law enforcement, because, you know, you know, I am a, you know, a black woman in this, this day and age. And I know that a lot of people may be scared to contact the, the police or don't know what to do. But these people are part um, and parcel of um, a cadre of individuals that are here to protect not only you, but your children. So I think that there are a multitude of resources that you can do when you're trying to report this type of issue. Another thing is when you're asking these questions, don't try and lead them. Just really take the information. It's kind of hard to be objective in these situations because you really want to um, kind of empathize with some of these things, but you really want to elucidate the, the the right information so that you can pass it on to people who can do stuff with it. Um, because, you know, once you get that information, it's hard not to try and, you know, take your vigilante approach. But we have experts in law enforcement and people in um, different um, areas of the country that can help you. So th- those are kind of the steps that I would take. So where does the safe sports jurisdiction begin and end like what problem is is there a problem that's that's too small or a problem that's too big where what what is the jurisdiction 
So I think one, when you're talking about whether, I think that's two questions. So one yeah. is that there's a problem too small or too large. I would say no, because you don't, we don't want to discourage anyone from reporting anything. There are times where I get information about um, my, my son wasn't able to be on, on this, um, this team. We, we think that the coach has, um, you know, blackballed him or something to that effect. And then you talk to both parties and it's really a misunderstanding, but you really want to get into the habit of people reporting these types of issues so that they feel comfortable bringing larger issues to the forefront, or you may discover something that, um, you know, doesn't fit with what they were actually speaking about. And it's something that we can actually um, have jurisdiction over. But when we talk about the jurisdiction of USA basketball, we are um, we have jurisdiction over those individuals who are within our atmosphere. So we do have that coach license program that you spoke with at the beginning. Anyone who's participating in any um, you know national team event with USA basketball, we do have an e-sports team. We do have our youth and development side as well as um, our three on three. So th- that's kind of our atmosphere. And so when people go to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, they're going to ask whether or not this person is um, a participant for USA Basketball's purposes. Um, That um, sphere might be larger for other organizations like USA Swimming or USA Fencing or Equestrian or other um, members within the NGB movement. Um, So that's kind of where our um, jurisdiction begins and ends. It's within USA Basketball's um, sphere of participation. But would you say even, I mean, even if a parent wasn't sure it fell under your jurisdiction, contact you and then maybe you can at least help steer them in the right direction too? Yes, I've actually had, I actually had a conversation with a parent last week um, and who who feared that her son um, may have been put out to the, um, onto the court too soon. Even though the coach may not have had a coach license with us or participated with USA Basketball in, um, in any capacity, I was able to provide some resources and information and able to kind of steer her in the right direction. I think I told you before that I was the general counsel for the North Carolina High School Athletic Association. And so in doing that, I do understand that high school realm as well and that level of jurisdiction and um, reporting as well. So there are a multitude of resources that I have that I will always share with um, any anyone who um, contacts USA Basketball. And so on the website, you have yes, what's called a complete parent toolkit, and then it's broken down by age group. Can you just kind of give us an idea what is in that toolkit that parents can use? Yes. So that's actually created by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. And so in that toolkit, it provides information about how to really um, – Figure out you know, whether or not your, your child may be the subject of misconduct or abuse, um, reporting resources, um, other things for parents who um, may have questions. And so it's really just a toolkit to just try and help um, provide information about the Center for Safe Sport, misconduct and abuse, um, and really how to care for your, your child in this type of um, atmosphere where they're participating in sports. And, you know, there's so many different things that can kind of not necessarily go wrong, but also go right. Well, and... The the reason I want to talk about this with yes, you sir. on the podcast is because we're we're talking about building good team cultures here, mm-hmm. and this is this is all about the culture, right? Yes, I mean, sir. it all ties in, and so so that's why I think this is so important because every you know we always talk about the three facets of this: it's the coaches, it's the players, it's the parents, you know, and so everybody's mm-hmm. got to work together, and again to create mm-hmm. that that safe environment for for our kids you know and for everybody right for everybody involved like this is all a big part of it and having these resources can can help i think a lot of parents you know uh in in the process if they think something is off base correct and so the other thing that that you have here is a handbook 
Yes, and sir. so what is in the handbook for <laughs> for people to to, uh, to use? So we do have an introduction that just kind of really explains what USA Basketball's um, Safe Sport program is um, and kind of some of the ways that it ties in. But we do have the application and important definitions. We have our misconduct prevention policies. So there's policies regarding sexual misconduct, physical misconduct, emotional misconduct and harassment, hazing, bullying, um, our locker room policies, social media, mobile and electronic communications, and also the travel policy. But then we also have the minor athlete abuse um, protection policies. Um, and so that also is something that is required by the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, but it's something that's tailored towards um, for people who are participating with us who are um, under the age of 18. But it is also something that we've drafted in a way that coaches um, who are not, you know, you know, using um, coaching at USA Basketball can take that and use it for their own purposes because it does have a lot of best practices. It kind of limits, you know, one-on-one -on -one communication, which is something that really is kind of how some of these um, issues prolifer proliferate is when people are isolated and they get the opportunity to be with a minor athlete one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So a lot of the stuff is communication, uh, preventing one-on-one -on -one communication between, and between, um, you know, minor athletes and adult participants. And one of the things I always say is it helps to prevent blind spots. And so once you are in a, in a position where you are um, aware of your blind spots, you can fix them. And so that's kind of what this handbook does. And it provides information on education and awareness training, when people are supposed to take that, what it, what it entails, as well as reporting concerns of abuse. And then what we do if there is a report and how we can, uh, and, and the procedure that we follow. We don't want to be arbitrary in any way. We'd like to take the, the correct steps to do it, you know, the same things over and over again, so that if we do receive a, a similar complaint, we can address it um, the right way. I mean, what what impresses me is how thorough this is, you know, <laughs> well, and you said, well, the, you know, the fact that you mentioned we want to make sure there aren't any blind spots. And I, I don't know. I, I don't think there are. I think you did, a, you know, you did a great well, job. You. And and so, like, what what I like is, you know, you, you break it down in these different sections and yes, talk to me. Section four, the background mm -hmm. screening program and protocols. What yes, does that involve? So that so background screening. So we actually have almost kind of like two background screening policies because we have one that kind of comports with the USOPC for people who are traveling on our behalf. So, you know, I would always say like, you know, the dream team, if they were the dream team, they would have to follow this background screen policy, which includes all of our support staff, coaches and things like that. But then we also have our coach license program, which kind of limits um which mirrors that as well, where we review all background screens. So we use a company that allows us to review background screens um, based on um, if anything pops up, we look at it. Um, and so we, as a, as a licensed attorney, I do have the last eyes on it. So I can look at the statutes and things like that and make sure that the people who are coming into our fold are those that um, should be there. And so the background screen um, program is kind of bait, um, broken into two types of um, you know, um, I guess disqualification factors. So we have, you know, potential disqualifiers and automatic disqualifiers. And so, you know, your automatic disqualifiers are those that are really those issues of moral turpitude that, you know, we can't allow. But, you know, those potential ones are really, you know, they are issues that are of concern, but that maybe we can have a, an additional review of. And so um, on our coach license side, we do have a, a background screen of, um, appeal panel that reviews those ones that people may appeal from. So, you know, you have it um, broken down into different types of um, issues. Like um, we have 
the um, the background screens there. You know, we also have, you know, the social security number validation, things like that. But when you go down into some of our disqualifying factors, they're broken down into felonies, misdemeanors. And so one that's going to be really hard to, you know, for us to overlook is, you know, any misdemeanor or felony that um, is a sex crime that involves violence or lack of consent or inability to consent or including rape and, and sexual assault. So those are things that we've included in there because um, if you've looked at a lot of some of the, the court cases and things like that, um, it's, you know, maybe a, a, a parent, not a parent, I'm sorry, a teacher or someone in a position of authority who may be taking advantage of that um, authority, like I said, that power imbalance and utilizing that. Um, there have been um, some background screen um, criteria in the past that would only say, if you have a felony, then you're out. If you have a misdemeanor, you're in. And we've taken that and turned it on its head because we realize that the court system has so many different facets for um, categorizing different crimes. Um, they're, di they're different all over the country. So we make sure that we're reviewing it very thoroughly. Um, we have a federal check as well. So, you know, if Bernie Madoff decided, I think he just passed away, so my bad. Um, but if he, you know, alive had decided to get a coach license, we would have been able to see that he had been participating in this type of behavior. And so we take a, a well-rounded look at this individual and whether or not they are fit to be um, a participant of USA Basketball. So, is this background screening program only applied to people who want to coach or does it extend beyond that? Is it anybody who wants to work with under the umbrella of USA Basketball? So it's both, actually. So anybody who, want to work, who wants to work under the umbrella of USA Basketball. So if you're a support staff member and you're 19 years old, we're going to look at you. Um, if you um, are a coach in, um, I'll use my, my, my Murphy, North Carolina. <laughs> I'm from North Carolina. So if you are coaching Murphy, North Carolina, and you want to have a gold coach license, this would, um, you, you would get a background screen um, from the, the head coach of our men's national team all the way down to the, to the athletic director in Greensboro, North Carolina, who wants to have a coach license. We review those background screens. And so does this apply to, um, just to, just to help people get an yes, understanding, sir. does it apply to like, you know, all of our like little leagues that are around the country or, you know, you mentioned AAU and AAU mm -hmm. has become such a big part of everybody's, you know, if, if you have right. kids playing basketball, everybody's playing AAU now, you know, does, does it apply to, to things like that? The club leagues, tournaments that, that, that we're all playing every weekend. Does it apply to those types of things? In a way, but um, USA Basketball really doesn't have jurisdiction over the AAU per se. But in order to go to those NCAA open windows, which I'm sure you're pretty familiar with, um, a coach has to have a, um, a valid USAB coach license. So, you know, a, a good number of those um, tournaments will have licensed coaches that participate with um, them. And if they're in an open window and they are not coach licensed, then they are not allowed to attend. So let's talk about the the licensed coaches and yes, what what that involves. I think it's a very great program that USA Basketball has. It's actually one that um, is voluntary, but you know, obviously, like I said, if you want to go to the NCAA um, open window period, you have to have a USAB coach license. And so the coach license has a couple of the components. It's um, they have coaching um, certificate. Well, not certification, but they have coaching. Um, 
I guess what you call those modules. Um, so for the NCAA, they also receive safe sport training. They receive um, the background screening, which is one of the most comprehensive that I've seen. And as well as they are able to receive insurance. So it's actually a very well-rounded program that gets you into the fold of USA basketball and gives you a lot of resources that you may not necessarily have um, access to. They do have some um, some like e-learning that they're um, developing and things of that nature. So the Gold Coach License is one of our um, premier programs, and I think it's one that's really beneficial to the sport of basketball. Since we understand that our tentacles don't reach, you know, all <laughs> everywhere that we would like them to, this helps us to have that that foothold in there and for people to be um, okay that their coach um, has been fully vetted. Um, they have the training necessary and the resources necessary to be a, a well-rounded coach, not only on the court but off the court. Well, it's the training that intrigues me, and and I'm well because and I'm wondering. So when when they're trained uh, under mm-hmm. safe sport, like what yes, types sir. of things are they learning? Are they learning more than just about you know what's what's inappropriate? But are they learning coaching techniques as well? Yeah, it's it's not about learning signs. Um, the safe sport training is actually interactive, so it will actually ask you questions that are almost like real life. So if Johnny came to you about being um, stuffed in a locker. What would you do? What's the first step that you should choose, you should take? So they actually are interactive modules within the safe sport training. Uh, and additionally, um, in order to get that coach license, you know, you kind of come every year. And so there are refresher courses as well. So, you know, you get that full safe sport training. It's almost about 90 minutes. And then you get refresher courses every year thereafter until the fourth year when we say, hey, Come back again. We're going to do the entire safe sport training all over again. So there are different things that they kind of go over within that safe sport um, module and that education um, system. But, um, yeah, I think it's a really good program. I'm trying to make sure that I I get you all that. stuff. So the safe sport core training um, includes sexual misconduct awareness education, mandatory reporting and emotional and physical misconduct. So it kind of covers that gamut of things that a coach may see and then gives them the opportunity to understand how do I use this as my leadership role? How do I use this information in my leadership role to protect the individuals who've been entrusted into my care? Well, and that's, you know, then I I think that this would have to help coaches, whether they realize it or not, Mm -hmm. become better coaches as far as, you know, you, you learn those signs, but then you also can pick up things like not to do right or, yes. or things that you should be doing and applying to to help our kids, you know, learn and grow and and win at the game of life on top of winning at basketball. Yes, sir. I, I agree. I apologize. My phone just went off. So I think I should have put that on mute before we started a podcast. That would have been um, a, a smarter thing to do. But yes, um, I, I totally agree with you. And, the you know, it's mandatory reporting, sexual misconduct, awareness, education, emotional and physical misconduct. And I think, like you said at the beginning of our, our talk, is that there are certain things that were ingrained in what we've done uh, and how we were coached. And so a lot of times if, to try and get away from that, you have to understand why it's detrimental um, and know that it's just not good coaching. It's not just, um, well, this is the way we've always done it. I think that anytime that you are dealing with minors or dealing with children or dealing with people in sport in in general, you have to think about innovation. If we've done the same things that um, Naismith did, then we wouldn't be at the point that we are now. So I think that the innovation is something that is really important to not only protecting um, athletes and and young people, but also giving them a love for the sport. And So you don't want to do anything that's going to detract from the sport, but one that um, just continues to, to pour into it. 
So where do I, do you do you know? And if you don't know the answer to this, it's fine. But I'm just wondering, you know, what, was were there studies done, or did they look at studies when the decision to put together Safe Sport and this program uh, in the beginning? You know, did, did they look at studies and say, look, look at look at the effect some of the you know whether it's bully coaching or some of the mm-hmm. some of the things that would happen? Um, you know. Was is there hard evidence to prove? Like, look, what what you know? Uh, like back when I was playing, and I, and, and I had great coaches. I'll tell you, I had great right. coaches. You know, but but even still, like I know I was playing with a concussion. I, I yeah. can't do that. You know, yeah. Like, but and, st- and things like that. But you know, I mean, and like I said, not my coach's fault. Just what we it wasn't part of what we what we did back then. But yeah. w- is there hard evidence that was looked at when putting together a program? Like safe sport, do you look? Is yeah. that what is that what we build this foundation on? Um, so I can't speak for the people who got here before me, but I do know that when I'm going through that, because I actually do every safe sport course, I probably did it more than any other people, um, anybody else. But I do look at some of these um, footnotes, and they do have actual studies that are connected to it. Um, there are, I think, federal studies that are connected to um, bullying and coaching, um, sexual abuse um, when it when it comes to participation in sport. So there are actually studies out there. Um, I, I know that there is um, one a, a, a former athlete named Allison Wagner who's actually doing some of that abuse and sport um, research right now. Um, I think she's working for USADA right now. So there are actually people who are researching this information so that they're not just pulling this information um, arbitrarily, but that they are utilizing it to, to make sure that the sports that we are all overseeing are sports that are, are safe. I just think it's interesting because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like like you hear that, like, you know, they hear that old saying, oh, you know, you you have to have a license to fish, but you don't have to have a license to be a parent, you know. <laughs> right. But, it, you know, it's sort of the same thing with coaching, I think, mm-hmm. in some respects, right, where typically, and I did it. I mean, I you know, I coached <laughs> my kids and, I, you know, I just told, well, like I played baseball in college. Oh, you're, you, that's it, <laughs> you know. Or right. usually, usually there's nobody around. They're like, wait, they check you for a pulse and then they're like, mm-hmm. hey, you're you're qualified. You know, and and so I just, you know, it it would be nice to see some type of like formal training Mm -hmm. for every coach out there, you know, and I know we're all busy and I know we have things to do and it's be like adding one more thing to our busy schedule. But even if it's like what you're saying, you know, 90 minutes, you know, because we had to do it for the concussions. They added that for the concussions. We had to do the concussion testing every, I think it was every two years, you know, but to do something like this, to remind people that, that, you know, these, these kids are fragile and, you know, they may not be comfortable coming to you. They, they may, you, you know, what you say or not say, to them could have a you know a, a detrimental effect on them not just mentally but physically as well it may Correct. not play as well you know right like, like like that's what i love about this because it's you know <laughs> it's 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 a it's it's almost like a it's it's we're almost there right it's like yes. that formal training that i think anybody who picks up a clipboard i don't care what the age i don't care what the team i don't care what the sport Anybody who's picking up that clipboard or whistle should be exposed to some of this formal training. I agree. And I think that um, coaching and, you know, I was not a basketball player. I'm only five feet tall, so I can't dunk or lay up or anything like that. So don't ask me. But I think that anyone who thinks about sports are generally going to look at their X's and O's. But your X's and O's are people. 
And so in order to figure out how do we develop people into good players, I think the best players are good people. And so in order for you to kind of raise them up that way, you have to have the training necessary um, and the information and the resources necessary to do your job in a way that's well-rounded. It's not necessarily just the X's and O's, but how can you put the X's and O's in a, in a way that configures the, the learning of the child in a way that makes it just that much better? Even if they're not going to be the next LeBron James, they're going to be the next great person because you fed into them and created a safe space for them to be themselves. Couldn't have said it better myself. And now, <laughs> here's the thing, though. You were a cheerleader at the yes, University sir. of North Carolina. Yes, and sir. so so I hope you don't mind me asking, but like, did, could, when you look back, when, you were, mm-hmm. when you're on the sidelines and you're up mm-hmm. close and personal with, mm-hmm. you know, well, not only, I mean, you know, <laughs> North Carolina's storied history of great coaches, but all of the other coaches that North, you know, North Carolina are playing, you know, playing against. When you look back on it, do you think, mm-hmm. man, that was, that was a really great culture they had going on? Do you, do you look back on, on, on these days, on those days sometimes and apply it to what you're doing now and say, they were doing it right. They probably uh, needed some help. They were way <laughs> off base. Do you, do you do that? Oh, yes, I definitely do. I think that being a cheerleader actually gives you the best seat in the house. Um, and it gives you an actual view of some, some things that you may not necessarily realize. So for me, especially being an attorney in um, sport, I'm able to see not only that it's just players and athletes and coaches, well, that it's also your, your officials, which you know I call them officials, but your referees. Um, it's also the people who are um, you know, wiping the baseboards. It's the people who are in charge of safety and, and, and everything. So for me, it helped me to see how everything is integrated, but it also gave me the opportunity to, to speak with people. So, you know, being there with when Roy was there, you know, I got to say, hey, every, every game, and he remembered me a little bit. Um, and actually being able to speak with some of the players and understand what they went through. Because a lot of times we see people in these, um, you know, these big things of stature, and we realize we don't realize that they come from certain backgrounds that we don't even think about when they're on the on the court. And so I think that when I was at Carolina, um, I was able to see that the, that they appreciate what's off the court more than what's on the court, and to utilize what was off the court to help you kind of push forward. So you know, I'm thinking about now that we have Hubert Davis, and just even thinking about him, like when I was at the high school association, coming to my office just to ask me, um, you know, about his son who's going to play basketball. You know, what are the rules that you have? And so for me, that showed me that. You know, rules are important, but talking to the people who are in charge of the rules so that you understand how they are impacting you is important. But my coach at Carolina, Brown Walters, he always pushed me to do, do, the, to do the best that I could, even if I fail, um, even if, you know, I couldn't tumble that day or something like that. He was always giving me the opportunity to just kind of be myself, um, but not allowing me to be complacent and just being myself. It's stunning to me how many times I've heard the off the court or off the field things that have such a dramatic impact on the success on the court or on the field. Are you experiencing? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, are you, so, so you're, you're experiencing the same thing then. I mean, I've heard it yeah. time and time again. Yes. I've seen it as well. You know, uh, you know, kind of being off the court, I'll tell you a funny story. I, if you, you know, we, you and I are talking like we're your best friends. I've never met you in my life, but you know, that's just kind of how I am. And so I met 
um, Algie Crumpler, um, who played for the Falcons at, when we were cheerleading. And I had no idea who he was. And just kind of going up and talking to him, asking him, was he from the game? And he was like, yeah. And ever since then, every Carolina game that he, see, he saw me at, he came and spoke to me, you know, made sure I was good. Um, and now we're actually on a board at UNC Chapel Hill together. And so that's actually been one of the kind of full circle moments that I've had. It's been these off the court exploits that have said, hey, this is who I am. And you can see that on the court as well in some of those people. Um, and so I just think that it's sports has been one of the, the catalysts for um, me being, you know, who I am right now, because I think that it teaches you a lot about perseverance, understanding, communication and patience. I didn't cheer my first game. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be patient um, and wait your turn sometimes and, and actually learn how to do better. It's not good enough for you just to be good. You have to you have to continue to work to be great. Well, and and to your point, I think that coaches need to understand like you like you talked about the X's and O's. And I think coaches, especially young coaches, and we've heard this before on the podcast, they they need to almost let go of the whole gotta win, gotta win, gotta, you know, mm-hmm. drawing up these plays. Gotta, you know, and they lose sight of the fact that that you are coaching people. They need mm-hmm. to they need to take that breath and step back and take themselves out of just like Algie Crumpler. Like, you know, <laughs> he, he's probably like, finally, somebody doesn't know I played tight end for the Falcons. You know, so <laughs> yeah. This is nice. I can have like a normal conversation. conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, but, yeah. but like, you know, for him, that was a relief to be able to step yeah. back. I think that, I think that there might be too many coaches out there who think that if they, if they do let go a little bit like that, they feel like, they're they're going to to miss something maybe on the floor yeah. but it's not about that it's about starting off the floor first in order to get that result on the floor it, right do you agree yeah. i i definitely do i think you have to have um an atmosphere where people want to work for you and i think that that's true in any setting whether it be business or on the court so if you are the person who's bearing down someone's neck and nitpicking every little thing and thinking that that is that tough love that someone needs. It may not necessarily be the tough love that they need because at home they get that every day, but they come here as an escape. And so it's about kind of almost like being a good boss. Do you want to go to work for someone who continues to find everything wrong with you and never praise you? Or do you want to find someone who says, all right, you need to work on this, but I see how great you could be. Let's work on this together. Um, so I think it's that personalized attention that people need, but then also that understanding of this is a person. They have gifts, they have talents, but they also have things that they may need to work on. And I'm here to service all of those things. Well, and I think the the way to to go about it, and again, I'm no expert. This is you know just yeah. me soaking it all in. All the yeah. you know all the the people who are they're way smarter than I am, you know. <laughs> You know, and I and I pick their brains a little bit, but like this is this is an opportunity where you don't have to be the expert all the time. Right. You don't, you know, and and when you 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 have to sometimes be vulnerable. Like I've I've heard from from experts, yes. authors, psychologists talk about different activities you can do, but the coaches have to be there too. It's not just about the players. The players have to see the coaches be a little bit vulnerable, right? Maybe mm-hmm. let them in behind the curtain a little bit. That's right. why I see that, and that's why I like I, I like doing my thing at the end with you know <laughs> what's the coolest, and, you know, right. especially when I have coaches on there because I I hope that their players are listening and they learn something yeah. that they never knew. About. 
about their about their coach. Right. But but to me, it's all about that that building that trust, right? Yeah. And so if the if the players see the coach can be vulnerable and talk about that time when I don't know their dog ran away and you know and it really made them sad and you know and they still think about peaches every day or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. For the players to be able to see that now everybody's kind of on the same level and that trust starts to build. You're definitely right. I mean, there's a good friend of mine. His name is David Noel. He played on our national championship team. And I remember watching him in a video maybe a couple of years ago um, where he was coaching at Southern Durham. And I think one of the players, maybe it was his birthday and he wanted to skip practice, but he gave a speech to them. He said, you want to know? When I played at Carolina, this is how it was. He was like, it wasn't skipping my birthday. The reason why we were at home during the tournament is because we sucked. <laughs> he was like, do you want to be there? He was like, do you want to be here? And he was like, you got to put the work in. I'm not going to like call you out so, so bad, but I want to let you know what these decisions mean and what they indicate to me. And so I think sometimes taking that breath to, under, to, take, to help them understand the brevity of their decisions, because that's kind of like what life is. It's all about a conglomeration of decisions. But you have to understand the brevity of each decision that you make. And if you have a coach that you trust, that you can take his advice or her advice and utilize it in more than one facet, I think those are the best coaches. And, you know, and, and just so just to kind of reel, reel this back in, not mm-hmm. that we, you know, we're not on a tangent yeah. here because it all right. fits together. No, <laughs> it all but, it, but it all fits together. And this, this conversation started with the whole training for coaches, right? Yes, and sir. that's part of, you know, hopefully the goal of this podcast, you know, the goal of the podcast, I hope, you know, people learn yes. from it and, and maybe take something from it. Not necessarily from the knucklehead who hosts the show, but from the experts <laughs> that I have on. But, but that's the point of this, right? And, and, and just like safe sport, we look back on on those early days and say, okay, mm-hmm. we we probably could do it better. And then somebody right. says, hey, I know. Why don't we develop safe sport, right? You yes. know, or like I used the bike helmet example again. Like yes. these are the bike helmet moments, I hope, that we're yeah. – because this isn't going away, right? I mean this right. is something – the mental aspect of this and the way we treat people is mm-hmm. is has become such a big part of life now. Yes. And then a lot of your insurance carriers, you know, you were talking about the different um, organizations. Um, the, a lot of your insurance carriers for this, um, for youth sports, are requiring this kind of sexual misconduct and abuse training and to provide evidence of that. And so actually receiving a USAB coach license is really duly um, helpful because now you've demonstrated that you have some sort of sexual abuse training or misconduct training for your athletes, for your coaches or people participating in your programs and your insurance company can see that. So it's something that's kind of easy to do, but we realized that these things were coming down the pipe. And so we've tried to kind of curb that. So for me, that's my thing is I'm always trying to look forward to make sure that whatever we're innovating is going to address the issues that we may encounter in the future. Well, and one thing too for for people, for parents especially Mm -hmm. to use on the website is the fact that they can search for Mm -hmm. licensed coaches in their area. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So if someone has a USAB coach um, license with USA Basketball, they are able to search on our database and it'll show their information. Um, If they have been suspended or ineligible, their names are not going to show up. And so you have the opportunity as a parent to do your due diligence and ask, all right, I think the rest of your coaches are licensed. Why are you not? Or if you're looking on our disciplinary records database and you see someone's name, then we've submitted them to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Um, or they've committed some sort of um, 
sanctionable offense that would prevent them from participating. And so that gives parents, coaches alike, organizations the ability to do their due diligence and vet those individuals who are going to be around um, athletes and children. Well, that's, that actually surprised me when I got on the site <laughs> and I saw that you list the disciplinary records, you know, of, of the, and mm-hmm. even list the category, the state, like, you know, where, where they're from. So if, you know, if you're a parent and you go on there and you just happen to see your coach's name on there, you might yeah. want to contact somebody, right? Right. Yeah. And then, you know, all, you know, generally if there's something that um, they were charged or convicted of, that's going to be public record. So you can look that information up. You can ask these coaches and, you know, you want to make sure that you are good with the people who are entrusted with your child when you're when they're not in your care. And so that's part of the reason why we put that up there is because we understand that, you know, sometimes our jurisdiction may not necessarily extend as far as we would like to. But we want to provide the opportunity for parents, coaches and organizations to look at the people who have come into our fold that may not be worthy of or that may not have the fitness necessary to participate in a program. And so we want to give you all those tools. And so that's part of the reason why we put that up there. So where do we go from here with safe sport is the goal to try and expand this to, do you want to just create this large net of, of safety across all sports, all States? What, where do we go from here with safe sport? I think um, so, you know, we are just with USA Basketball, the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. I think that they would love to have it in every school, every, you know, county, every, you know, try and make this um, the example for the world. Um, I know that's kind of a broad thing, but I think that that's one of their goals. But for us, we want this to be a, an ingrained part of culture, that it's not something that is an anomaly, but one that is something that's very welcomed and that everybody else wants to participate in because safety is paramount. Um, and it's paramount to the protection of our sport in general. Um, USA Basketball believes that sports should be free from any form of misconduct or abuse. And that starts with education. Um, and it starts with us doing our diligence, due diligence as an organization and preventing those bad actors from coming out. So I, I see it as expanding and being something that's a norm in the culture of basketball. Well, that'd be good to see. So if you are a coach or a parent and you want to, whether it's get licensed or, you know, look, look, get the handbook, look things up, how, what's the best way, what's the easiest way to find USA Basketball Safe Sport? So you can go to USAB.com and at the top, um, I guess those those little arrow, the little words, I guess, I forget what the, I guess the formal word is called, um, but you can click on Safe Sport. And under Safe Sport, you have the About, Parent Resources, our handbook, um, which is, like you said earlier, separated into sections so that if you want to take one piece out at a time and review it, you can do that. Um, there's a reporting mechanism. And then there's also um, a portion where you can look up licensed coaches as well as our disciplinary records. Um, and if you want to go to Safe Sport, you can go to athletesafety.com. I'm sorry, athletesafety.org. Um, and that's the um, U.S. Center for Safe Sports um, website. Well, I like I said, I think it's great. That's why, you know, I'm so glad you're able to make the time, you of know, course. today to, to talk about it. Because I just think that these are the types of things that can really help to to kind of flip the script like we talked about earlier. And I just think that just to make coaches aware that Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have to go to school for this, but there are places (laughs) you can go to learn and, and, and pick up some techniques to, uh, to apply to your practices and your games and just, you know, create a better culture for, for everybody involved. 
Correct. I mean, like even you, and, and I'm sorry, I need to correct myself. I said athletesafety.org is actually the, it's US Center for SafeSport.org. Um, but yes, I think that there are a multitude of resources available for coaches um, and parents. Um, and so there's nothing that you, you, you can't access with us where you have questions. But then I think also it's good for us to receive those questions and feedback so that we can improve our, our, um, our, our handbook and our policies and procedures. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we all want the same things, right? For yes. especially when it comes to our kids, right? I mean, absolutely. And so, and I think everybody working together, I think, is another. I think that's just another shift we need to get in. You know, everybody needs to work together on this, and it's not about. Yes. You don't have to be the expert on everything if you're the coach, and and you know, my way or the highway is no longer a coaching style. I don't think. Correct, and I think that there, you know, we just highlighting some things that you may want to be aware of just talking about one-on-one communication now that social media social media wasn't a thing when i was growing up um i think facebook had just come into play when i was in college um but you know thinking about how you're interacting with um athletes on on um, social media how you're texting them you know trying not to text an athlete just one-on-one again trying to eliminate those blind spots um using another coach or their that parent or actually using an app that um, includes the entire organization when you're sending out information, whether it be about um, practice at seven or your banquet. Um, those are things that we kind of think about is just trying to eliminate those blind spots. And so sometimes we don't even know that they're there and utilizing the U.S. Center for State Sport and USA Basketball can help you to identify those blind spots within your program. Yep. No, you're right. You're exactly right. Because maybe, and that, I think that that's part of the problem. We just we just like you yeah, said, we don't know that these things are there. You know, we don't know there. We don't know there's a problem because we you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know, and that's the reason why we are trying to be experts in this field and provide as many resources as, as possible, whether they be free um, or not. You know, I think that there are so many free resources that are available with the U.S. Center for Safe Sport as well, not only for um, coaches but for parents as well, because you want to be assured that your coaches know what they're talking about. And you also want to have a hand in the uh, protection of your child. No, oh, that's exactly right. Now we spent a lot of time learning <laughs> about safe sport. And before we yes, get sir. out of here, we need to learn okay. some things about you. Whitney Fry, because yes, you know, you can't just roll up here and tell us you're a North Carolina <laughs> cheerleader and expect to get out yes. of here without us asking some questions. Okay. Okay. I got so, you. All right. So, so the first thing we always like to do, I always like to do what's the coolest. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we're talking to players and, and former players and mm-hmm. coaches and things like that. But this is going to be a good one too. I think <laughs> I may know the answer to this one already, but what, what's the coolest place you've ever played or cheered or watched a game? And it doesn't have to be basketball. Coolest, coolest place for okay, a game for uh- you. So I would, you know, try and give you that gimme with the Dean Dome because obviously everybody knows that. So I will defer to Death Valley at Clemson um, in that in that big bowl. That was probably the coolest place ever because you're standing down at the bottom and all the fans are looking down at you, the sun's beaming. And every time they got a touchdown, they would um, shoot a cannon, I believe. And so that actually was very memorable because we um, have to do a stunt every time we have a kickoff. So you're trying to stay still in the air while their cannons going off. So um, I'll say Death Valley, but as a close second to the Dean Dome. Oh, that's a good. Hey, so what? Any crazy Duke North North Carolina stories that you um, were that you I were, was when there, you were there? I was there when Tyler Hansborough got his nose broken. Um, 
you know, when he had all that blood, yeah. you know, coming out, I was actually sitting on the floor. I remember Sheldon uh, Williams asking for the ball. And I'm like, and that was one of the days I realized, like, Whit, you are really close to the floor. Um, but the funny thing is, Tyler Hansborough was actually dating one of my roommates at that time. Well, not teammates at that time. And so we went to the national championships for cheerleading that year. And we also had a teammate who broke his nose um, during, uh, I guess, the practice for our, our nationals routine. And he wore Tyler Hansborough's uh, face mask during our UNC cheerleading national team routine. So I think that was kind of funny. That, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great story. Yeah. Did, you ever, did, did you ever get nailed on the court? No, I never got nailed, but I did fall. And that's when I learned to be careful what you ask for, because I used to say I always wanted to be on SportsCenter, you know, top 10. I have a cousin who plays, who used to play for the Cavs. So he was always on um, SportsCenter. But um, when I fell, I thought that nobody would see me, but they put it in the sports center at the beginning, you know, when they go, dun, 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 and it goes, Psh, I was the, Psh. So, that was you. <laughs> yeah. So I learned, I learned very quickly to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> that is awesome though. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah I, it, but, but, but so is, can we find that on you? We got to be able to YouTube, right? And, and find they may that. have it on there, but I will not divulge that to the rest of the world. Uh, I'll find it. Yeah, I found you. Yeah. I'll find it. Yeah, yeah, no, but it, you know, we, we played it at the end of the year banquet, and my teammate actually made it like kind of keep going back and back and back. So that was funny. But you know, it's you know one of my most embarrassing moments. So when I used to teach law school, I would tell kids like, "Don't be afraid to raise your hand," because my most embarrassing moment was on Facebook, I mean, on Sports Center. There's no way that the question you're going to ask is going to be that embarrassing. That, that is awesome. Hey, you're talking yeah. to a lifetime Cleveland sports fan. Who's your cousin? <laughs> His name is Channing Fry. Oh yeah, Channing Fry. Oh yeah, we know yeah, him. Yeah, so even though he I'm only the po- he does the podcast now too. Yes, road tripping. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's he's um, we def- our our grandfathers are um, brothers, but um, I did not get the height that he was able to get. So he's like six ten, and I'm only five feet tall. Yeah, so. yeah. Lovely thing then- about jeans there. <laughs> and I know, like him and Richard Jefferson are always, you know, yes. going at it. They're 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 yes. pretty funny. They, yeah, he's a pretty funny guy. I yeah. was, I used to call him the gift king. How come? So Cause... when we would text message, sometimes he would only respond in like. Well, I guess the proper word is gif. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I was would, with you. I was with you. Yeah. <laughs> so he would always just send like the funniest just before like the keyboard became a thing. Right. He would just send like the funniest ones. And I'm like, where did you get this from? So I started calling him the Jeff King. That's funny. Cause see, like I consider <laughs> myself a, a pretty good with the, with the gifts. And then yeah. my son's baseball coach, he is like the emoji. His emoji game is like off the charts. And so oh. he needs to cheat. He needs to teach like an emoji class. Yeah. I think that that's why I think it's like a second language now. Seriously. Like, if you it's can crazy. find the perfect one. You're good yeah. to go. Yeah, no, I love it. Okay, now, the very last yeah. thing we always do on the podcast, I call it first okay. things last, because I'll give you yes. a list of firsts, okay? okay? We've learned a lot about you, Whitney, but we need to learn okay. a little bit more, okay? Okay, and so, I gotcha. So, first things last, what was okay. your first job? I was actually a um, groundskeeper at Wet n' Wild Emerald Point. <laughs> really? So, I swept trash, yes. But the next year, I was the person who um, did the announcement. So I did that all through college. So I have the, yeah. So 
the was it the time is now seven o'clock if you become separated from your party maybe even at the flagpole which is located in the main gate <laughs> so that was me <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome you would think they just have that on a tape they actually had somebody sitting there doing that yeah i mean well that's back in the day so you right, know they right. have a tape now but it was me doing it because they had to do the announcements every day so yeah that was my first job at Wet and Wild Emerald Point in Greensboro, North Carolina. That's not so bad. All right, hey, what? So, <laughs> so all that money you made at Wet and Wild. What was your first car? Uh, it was a Honda Civic, a nineteen ninety six Honda Civic. I got wow. it the day I got my license. <laughs> How many miles did you get to it? Um, I had it all through college, so it's probably a bunch because you know that I was always driving places that I didn't have any business. That's <laughs> all right. As long as it got you there and home safely, that's Absolutely. all that matters. Absolutely. Yes, so. it did. It was a very good car, good on gas, everything. It was all a right. very good first car. So how about this one? First, and I, I, I'll say record, but I'm sure record does not apply in your case, but record CD <laughs> or cassette that you bought? Oh, um, I think it might have been Mario. Really? I think, yeah, I think so. Was it a CD My dad was a pastor and... It was a CD. Hold on. I'm trying to think. We did have cassettes around the house, but I think the one that's coming to mind is the Mario CD. And your dad was a pastor, so you had Yeah, to... so we so we weren't allowed to listen to like the secular right. music. We had to always listen to gospel music, so I would always hide and um, like sneak and listen to like R&B or right. when I was at my grandma's house during the summer, like watching MTV all day. Isn't it crazy too? And yes. then, like you think about like, I think about like, you know, like my wife's parents would, wouldn't let her watch the show Three's Company because it was too <laughs> risque. You know what I mean? And then like you look at it now and it's yeah. like, this is like, this is nothing oh, yeah, compared to what's smirks. going on. Like, oy. <laughs> but again, we get better, right? We wear yeah, bike we helmets get better. now. We, right? we learn. <laughs> right. So, okay. Now, <laughs> how, how about this? Your first concert. Do you remember? I have never been to a concert. Really? I'm I, again. I'm five feet tall, so I don't like being in places where I can't see. <laughs> so everybody's usually taller than me. So I'm just that. Forget it. <laughs> oh, you need to tell somebody to take you to a concert, but you have to sit in the front row. <laughs> right. So, like you know, when I was younger, you know, I couldn't afford front row seats or anything like that, or like the high seats. So I've just said forget it because I'm just so little. I can't see over everybody. <laughs> This is why I love doing this because the, yeah. there's always at least one answer that just astounds <laughs> like, me. <laughs> like you've never been to a like, concert. What's your yeah, first, I, yeah, what's your first guy? I've never been. I'm too short. I'm not going. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. All right. Now the last one, and this is okay. present day. What is the first app that you check when you get up in the morning? The news app. Really? Yes. I like to know what's going on. I like to read it. I don't like to hear it. So I like to read through it for a little bit um, before my dog decides to, to wake me up and say it's time to go outside. Nice. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm like, I, I use Twitter for that. You know, that's why I get a lot. I, I, I'll get on Twitter and I'll, I'll scroll through it, you know. Yeah. So I'll do the news app and then I'll do Instagram. And then yeah. after that, it's time to get up. Well. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this has been great. And, you know, I'm glad that we're ending on such a high note because of the seriousness of the of the topic earlier in the podcast. But it's yes, just like, I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing and, and, and where we're going with this. I hope is, you know, like you mentioned, it'd be, it'd be nice for this to be the blueprint for the world of coaching. Yes. Yes, I, I definitely believe so. And I think that it's a step in the right direction. We just want everybody to understand the brevity of kind of what Safe Sport does. And it's not necessarily just a check the box. It's something that can help you and your children and their parents to figure out 
um, to navigate the world. Um, that's kind of what sports does. We all know the benefits of sport. So we want them to help navigate, you know, the world. You know, it's, it's the same thing as being in, in, a, in a business setting. Same principles apply. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for, Thank for you so coming much. on today. So remember, no, I really fo- appreciate you. Oh, yeah, no, you, you were great. And remember, yeah. folks, if you know a coach who's doing great things, winning games and building a great team culture at the same time, we want to hear about them. We may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast. You can reach out to me on Twitter at CourtsidePod1 and on Facebook and Instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, build your players' strengths, find them all a roll, and you'll take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.